My name is Natalie, and this is Chelsea, and we're the hosts of The Daily Reframe, a podcast dedicated to exploring the application of a growth mindset through the stories and experiences of others. everyone. Welcome back for episode 13 of the Daily Reframe podcast. We wanted to bring you a special episode that was born out of our last guest episode with Ali Marcus, um, which is the topic of therapy. Because for those of you who listened to her episode, you know that she had a very frustrating um, and quite sad experience with therapy. So we wanted to expand our and your knowledge on therapy, different types of therapies, so that we all know what our options are. Before I introduce our next guest, I just wanted to take a minute and kind of step back to how Ali's story and kind of the other origin of this episode came to be. And for anyone who's listened to some of the prior podcasts, you've heard me talk about my dad who is a very successful individual but he you know kind of embodies what you know the american dream was or has been seen to be by many you know he was a first generation citizen of the united states parents were slovak immigrants who couldn't read or write english and he assimilated and created this wonderful life and work hard and yada yada he was also in the navy uh, very, very conservative, you know, very black and white about right and wrong, i.e. he did not love my phase where I had dreadlocks and wore a lot of hemp and all the tie dye. Uh, and I think a part of that related to what that image represented. So when he was growing up for context, he was born in 1947. You know, there were two very different types of people. We'll just we'll simplify it very liberal conservative values drugs no drugs so the idea of mushrooms or marijuana ever being anything but a drug rather than some type of therapeutic treatment option was not something he embraced so imagine my face when I'm on the phone with my dad and we're talking about the podcast, he's a huge fan, which I love uh, because this is very different from anything that he had ever done before. And he brings up, you know, a suggested topic. He goes, you know, Nat, I was just reading this article about uh, how the military and some some doctors out in I don't know, maybe it's Canada or maybe it's Montana. I'm not sure. Anyways, they're using shrooms to treat PTSD in veterans. I just thought that was really fascinating. And I think it's a topic you could explore. <laughs> Very few moments in my life have stunned me or made my mouth drop. But hearing my dad, John Medved, talk about shrooms, shrooms. So we will get into the actual name of these, you know, the substance, but for a therapeutic benefit blew my mind, but it also gave me so much faith in humanity, especially when there is so much tension between old values, new values, 
Gen Z, millennial, boomers, the approach to different types of problems. I thought, what a beautiful opportunity to explore this topic, you know, get into the other side of, quote, shrooms. Um, But I believe the proper term, and correct me if I'm wrong, Allie Runkle, our today's guest, is it shrooms or is it psilocybin? Psilocybin's the, the like, there we go. That's what correct I thought. term, but we like to call it shrooms. Why not? Shrooms, why not? I think, you know, a 1960s, 70s approach to it. But yeah. So before we get into your background, just welcome to the podcast. I am so grateful that you want, you decided to come on and join us and share your personal experience as well as your professional experience uh, using ketamine-assisted therapies to address trauma in your patients. Thank you, and thank you for having me. So, Allie, will you give us kind of a rundown on your background, uh, education, your actual credentials, and just how you got into psychedelic-assisted therapy? Yeah, Um, Well, I loved that little anecdote you just shared because I think you touched on a lot of the things that um, I think the goal of therapy can be, which is, you know, you mentioned like this tension and in a lot of like polarized ideas and like sometimes humans really stay comfortable when we're in black or white terms or right or wrong, right? So Mm -hmm. there's a lot of generations before us that operate that way because that's how, you know, they adapted. And that can be a really stuck place for a lot of humans. So Mm -hmm. I can share how I got into this, but I just love that opening because I think the goal is to hold the tension of opposites and Mm. explore where we can expand. There's more choice. There's more autonomy instead of two options. You know, it's so interesting you say that, Allie, because my dad, when he, when I was my response to what he said that I was completely mm-hmm. shocked. I said, where is this coming from dad? And you know, he mm-hmm. explained that, you know, he was raising six kids and all mm-hmm. he knew is what he knew. And he didn't want to jeopardize being able to provide for them or like, you know, experiment mm-hmm. or go out of his comfort zone right. because he had six people, including, you know, in addition to my mom to provide for. And mm-hmm. You know, there's a time, I guess, to be a renegade. There's a time to be a pioneer, but it wasn't his time to do that. And, right, you know, I think what you're doing is not only intriguing, but it's really, in my view, going to pave the way for, you know, different types of substances that were either that are currently illegal or currently illegal, but are being used off label to treat various Mm -hmm. types of mental conditions or physical ailments, you giving them kind of like a, a platform to spring from. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So before we get into the meat of this conversation, which you can (laughs) tell, I'm so excited. Um, let's hear about you. Like take us back to the start. How did you get into one being a therapist, like your credentials, but psychedelic assisted therapy. Tell us everything. Yeah. Well, it's been a long unfolding. Um, I think probably the story starts like all stories start in our childhood. (laughs) Um, I was the oldest of four. Um, I have three younger brothers and um, I was just a very kind of sensitive 
child. And I think I was really aware of people's emotional states and understood how family dynamics worked and took an early role um, in that space of connecting people, understanding people. Um, and like a problem solver or like the mediator in your family? I'd say it was like peacekeeper, you know, mm-hmm. and, um, you know, some maternal kind of just because I was the oldest and yeah. taking care of that really like came naturally, whether I chose that or yeah. not. <laughs> and then, you know, in so school true. and in friendships, just sort of being the person that people came to. Yeah. And um, I was a dancer and I actually think that dance is sort of the, the lead in here. Like there's, I think so many ways that this happened for me, but um, yeah, I was a hip hop dancer and that's how I got into college. Like, I like Julia yeah. Styles saved the last dance. I hope yeah. I was better than oh, her, <laughs> but, um, okay. So in my opinion, she could move like, very well. Like <laughs> if you watch it again, I I'm not coordinated no, at it's all. It's a great movie. So. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. No, I was the white girl the doing hip hop. I for love sure. that so much. Yeah. And I was not a ballerina. That I, classical training never, never fit to my you. body, my mood. No, it was very. Um, yeah. So hip hop was my thing and I connected me to my body. It was a creative outlet. I got to like be with my emotions without thinking about my emotions. Um, and then I went to college to dance and we took a dance therapy class. And so this was at UCLA and across the, the street of the campus was a veterans center. Um, and they had, men like all ages coming to this dance therapy class uh where yeah we helped these men with PTSD through movement therapy so it's amazing yeah it was super moving and it sort of just connected all these dots for me um and i you know i wasn't sure at the time like what that meant but i was like okay i want to look deeper into psychology i ended up double majoring blah 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 and then <laughs> was that from the start you double majored or was this like a two-year in a pivot? Year, I think a year in yeah so I ended up doing five years mm. um and yeah I thought at the time when I graduated school I was like I'm so young I can't be a therapist like I'm 12 you know like I <laughs> yeah. don't understand how this is gonna work so I ended up getting um my master's after that with um a focus on school counseling but you could do a licensure um pathway too so it kind of gave me some options I ended up in school counseling for a few years getting my hours because that's a whole I heard, I've heard I've heard it is yeah. a major time yeah. commitment. Yes, You're kind of just is. like the workhorse. Time, time and money. Yeah. yeah it's, it's a hard slog, but I think it's where you learn the most, you know? Yeah. It's sure. a, it's a job that keeps you fucking learning. Like yeah. it's never it's endless. Um, and I think I just have that hunger. Um, so it's a perfect little match for me. Um yeah. And then, you know, psychedelics were not in my consciousness then. Um, 
I was the good oldest daughter. I was <laughs> the good girl, very conditioned, you know. Mm. And um, when my husband and I, I think this was, yeah, after we got married, this was years after college, um, we, and COVID hit, uh, he got sick. He ha- developed an autoimmune disease and mm. we were dealing with that. So it was like, you know, <laughs> Like during the pandemic time. Yeah. Like right right when the pandemic hit, he was in this in between of getting diagnosed. And so um, tough. Yeah. It was a really hard time. Um, Were you guys able to get, I'm just curious, answers quickly because of everything Mm. that was happening with, you know, uh, like just being able to get referrals and then an appointment from the referral. I want to say we were lucky. Mm. that somehow, you know, it didn't feel quick to us, but I think in the grand scheme of things, it was pretty quick, especially for autoimmune because there's that could be such a process. Yeah. It's a lot of elimination and ruling out. There's not like, so (laughs) there were lots of steps to that and Mm -hmm. a lot of patience. And, um, so I guess, yeah, it was cool quick considering the landscape at the time and um yeah like what that process entailed yeah but I think in the day-to-day felt like (laughs) excruciatingly long I'm sure as Uh, it would yeah so and around that time my mom um was sort of entering her own (laughs) psychedelic space so Mm. My mom was a labor and delivery nurse um, for 20 years. So she was like really used to like that beginning of life, you know, that creation coming into this world, which a lot of kind of experts say is the first psychedelic experience. Breath is one of them. It's alive in us all the time. Mm -hmm. Birth is truly psychedelic. (laughs) Um, And then she ended up doing some hospice work. So then it was like end of life care, like, you know, people leaving this life so she had had this kind of full spectrum yeah when just for our listeners and honestly myself when you say psychedelic Mm. experience like when you say breath and when you say labor Mm -hmm. end of life what do Mm. you mean by that exactly psychedelic I think means I mean don't quote me but mind manifesting so um anything I consider it kind of just a non-ordinary state of consciousness okay I don't like using altered state because that means that the one that we're in most of the time is like the right one mm-hmm. and again I, love that. I think we have this hierarchical like there's a right and a wrong this is the good one and the bad one and so non-ordinary is just the not ordinary state that we're in got it um So, you know, when we wake and don't have substances or are not in some sort of trance, whatever, meditation, breath, um, that's ordinary state of consciousness. And then maybe when we're going through something in a trance, using medicines, whatever, like that can be a non-ordinary psychedelic state. No, that, that, thank you for clarifying that. I loved it. I also appreciate the your view on the ordinary, not the way we shouldn't be called our, our normal state, because I, right. I, I have a problem with that when something is deemed yeah. normal, just right. Right. 
Like, yeah. I guess it's the typical one, right? Yeah. Um, but it sort of normal insinuates that, yeah, the right versus it's, wrong yes, messaging. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So I'm sorry to interrupt, but I, no, that's great. I will interrupt me at that. any yeah. time. Yeah. That'll, that's that's a thing I do, but Get please in there. continue. Um, so, so mom, okay. Where, where that all begins, right? <laughs> um, so she went back to school to get, um, transpersonal psychology. That's, I think what she went back to school for. And, you know, at this time I was doing my own thing. I'm not, you know, really paying attention to her journey. She ends up really closely working with other psychedelics. Um, so she got involved in kind of these networks that were, you know, some of these kind of bigger names like um, Richard Schwartz, who kind of coined internal family systems and she works with him and, and you know, just all of these trainings, like she went to breathwork trainings under people mm -hmm. who were trained with Stan Groff and really connected. And so she was getting like these really juicy experiences. And of course, that's happening on the sidelines. So she's kind of mm -hmm. telling me about it. You know, we kind of touch these worlds, but in different ways. She's a nurse. I'm a therapist. Yeah. Um, she's afraid of psychedelics. I love them. <laughs> like, you know, there's just this intertwined situation happening. Yeah. Um, you guys are, you're kind of revolving around the same orbit. Like you're on right. the same orbit, but at different places. Mm -hmm. You're yes, not necessarily beautiful. crossing. You're like tangential, mm -hmm. but not overlapping. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's been a beautiful little ride together. Mm. Um, and so that was happening. That was sort of in my, you know, world. And then again, meanwhile, my therapist of however many years um, is evolving. I'm evolving with her, right? And she ends up going to the same program that my mom did. She's getting trained in psychedelic work. She's offering ketamine i was dealing with some you know <laughs> mood issues and ended up doing ketamine first with her and um i think that was sort of like i and i kind of say this too very lightly but like ketamine can sort of be that like gateway into non-ordinary states because it's mm. pretty safe it's pretty predictable you know you're not necessarily going to be confronted with like super like it's not ayahuasca yeah it's, it's yeah. definitely <laughs> so, not ayahuasca so so for our listeners including yeah. my dad who i know is yes. eagerly awaiting the release of this episode can you just tell us like if there's a scale like can you paint a scale for us so like hmm. zero would be no substances and then for so no substance assisted therapy and then like a mm -hmm. 10 how would you uh, do that? Well, first, I guess, like, I don't want to super challenge this, but that feels a bit linear. And I think these medicines are not linear. Love that. I, I understand that. your question. And so like, what about matter of intensity? It, like, yeah, if way... I were to put it in those terms, I'd say breath. So there's holotropic breath work <laughs> that um, can really. Chelsea loves breath work. Hell yeah. I'm I've I mean, done that before. That, yeah, it's amazing. And that's something you can do with yourself. Like, I'm, yeah. you know, there's different types that you can do, you know, for two minutes a day. Um, that also breathwork can help after um, 
psychedelic journeys where that helps you kind of revisit and integrate certain parts felt sense of those journeys. Anyway, so it would be breath for me, breath, um, ketamine, MDMA, psilocybin. I, ayahuasca is in its own thing. So it's not even in its own thing. Okay. I don't, they're not even on the same plane. It feels really, it just, that's so funny. It feels really hard for me and actually a bit wrong to like, even they're so different from each other, you know? Yeah. And they it's deserve also, their own like universe. I feel like it also probably depends on the person too, that's experiencing mm. them. Like mm-hmm. someone may say like, oh yeah, psilocybin right. was like nothing. And then I would do it and mm-hmm. I'd be like, it rocked my world. I'm a new person. Mm-hmm. Um, so mm-hmm. it's also. And when the person, how ready they are, what they're working on, mm. the intentions, 100%. So when you said you were, if you don't, and don't, you don't need to answer, but you said mood, because I'm I'm trying to understand for our yeah. listeners, like how they um, may, some people may identify yeah. with what you were experiencing and benefit yeah, or totally. maybe intrigued by your treatment path. Yeah. Thanks for asking. Um, I was having, uh, I got off birth control years ago and after that I would have, I didn't understand, I, I didn't know at the time these things were correlated, <clears throat> um, but with my therapist and partner and other relationships yeah. mirroring back to me, there would be probably every month, like a period of pretty intense at the time. I couldn't put words to it, like anxiety, depression, at the same time, it was pretty disorienting because I don't usually operate from that place. And I was just white knuckling it like 10 days out of the month. And when so I this finally isn't figured a normal out, part of the cycle, you're saying like that shouldn't be happening. Um, well, mm-hmm. no, that n- that's not necessarily true. This was not typical for me. So that shift was, you know, I think a lot of people experience, you know, hormonal shifts and PMS and mine basically hit a lot of criteria for PMDD. So Mm. that's premenstrual dysmorphic depression. Mm -hmm. Dysmorphic was the fucking word. You know, I was like, I didn't see myself in the way I normally saw myself. I didn't see the world the way I normally saw it. So it was like a real Mm. departure from that like ordinary state for me. Your Mm -hmm. status quo. Yeah. And, um, you know, I was doing a lot of natural things, eating well, sleeping well, blah, blah, blah. Um, and it just would rear its head and I'd be right back in it. (sighs) And so I was like, wow, this would be really ridiculous every month forever. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it was really a difficult time. Um, men have no idea what women go through. They have no idea. Well, this is like incredibly debilitating. Like I've debilitating. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And it was interesting because yeah. And I, you know, I was used to going into the office, seeing my clients in my more regulated states. And then the weeks that I was dysregulated was like a whole different (laughs) ballgame. So like to be, you know, and that's a part of this work is like, 
I'm a human. I'm going yeah. through all the things I go through in my life with the people I love, my relationships, my relationship to myself, um, you know, and so it requires me to like really take care of myself because I have to be in integrity with that if I'm going to be holding space for people mm-hmm. going through their Love stuff. Love that you just said in integrity with that. Have mm-hmm. you read that book? No. It, oh my God. I'm going to send it to you. After. It? Okay. Oh my God. It's What's so good. It called? But, um, I'm going to pull up the exact title, but I've been, mm. I, I sent this book to uh, the title to Chelsea, but my best friend from college, Melissa, just told mm-hmm. me about it and I have now read it twice already. But oh. the idea is that to live the life we want and deserve and like feel called to live, we must be in integrity with mm-hmm. ourselves completely. Yeah. And it just like breaks down and it's written in the construct of Dante's Inferno. So oh, it's just, amazing. it's so great. But anyways, cool. you could Thank tell you. you have to be in integrity with yourself to do your job. And I love that because you're yeah. acknowledging something that I think is a mm-hmm. systemic problem in Western cultures, especially the United mm-hmm. States, that mm-hmm. we are kind of be- expected to perform like machines at work. Yeah. But the reality is we are not machines. And well, and especially in the helping professions, because there's this Western idea too of like, you have to be selfless and like motherhood is selfless. Mm. You're giving up so much, you, you know, and that really permeates these fields to a detriment of the helpers yeah. and yeah. patients, because you will feel the difference for sure of being in someone's presence who is taking care of themselves Oh, yeah. Like it's drastic, right? Mm -hmm. Like it's a felt energetic sense. It might play out in therapy in so many ways. So that's like number one, Mm because I have felt that difference, you know, and we're doing a disservice to the whole system. And I didn't listen to your last podcast, but like, I think that's what creates these negative experiences for therapy for, for patients. Like, you know, that just trickles down. Definitely. Or, or, you know, and I think that Chelsea can I think speak to Allie's experience a little more or just the approach to Allie's situation. Yeah. Um, I mean, her situation was, it's like your worst nightmare that would happen in therapy. Mm-hmm. Um, as a family therapist, we grew up in a very small town. I've known her since I was a child. Mm-hmm. Um, so everybody goes to see the same person, right? Oh, mm-hmm. and her, her abuser was going, Mm. had seen this person, um, and totally invaded her sessions with things that had happened in theirs. Um, and so she now has like a complete distrust of it. And how could you not? Like, it's just, yeah. 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 So that's horrible. Yeah. Because there is also this innate, um, position of, power like perceived or or real you know and if you know and that's I think again part of the therapist's work is to be in collaboration (laughs) and not because they hold power like Mm -hmm. that's just what it is and so again integrity (laughs) but I'm sorry that's yeah that's awful yeah it was the worst yeah I have hope that she will pick back up when when it feels yeah. right and resonates with mm-hmm. her so mm-hmm. yeah 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 
So my hope, though, is that she listens to this podcast and is then inspired to maybe re-enter therapy Mm -hmm. in maybe a new type of way, maybe with ketamine-assisted therapy, which, Allie, like, feel free. I know we are going through your background. I know you'll cover all of that. I can jump in there. Yeah, well, I think think that's a good... Yeah. Go for it. Well, I think the idea is that, you know, so, so many times you hear about people who's either never gone to therapy because they have this perception of what therapy is where, you know, go into a room, some person just sits and stares at you in silence while you spill out your guts and just tell them everything. And they like, don't give you any reaction or, you know, you see the kind of like satirical takes of it in movies where they're writing like a cartoon or playing crisscross. So so there's that perception or there are people that have attempted therapy and they've had a negative experience like Ali, our last guest, or, you know, and countless people, whereas or they have felt that they just sitting down. And I think this is a nice distinction and I'm sure you'll be able to elaborate on this, but sitting down and just talking about the problem is not going to be enough because, mm-hmm. you know, for maybe it was repeated traumatic experiences like Allie or an acute traumatic experience of some kind or just some type of like dissociation that's they're really not sure what caused it but it is just almost impenetrable whereas Mm -hmm. the type of psychedelic therapy or specifically ketamine assisted therapy my understanding I have yet to try it but I am very interested in it um, can help break down that barrier or kind of open your consciousness and I'm not sure, maybe I'm not saying this right, but like it's not necessarily creating a dissociative state, but it's allowing you to, I guess, move through a a more conscious barrier and see how your mind operates. Yeah. Well, I think tying it back to Ali just, to thread this through Mm. I think it would be so everything is amplified when we're using any kind of psychedelics so that also means um like (laughs) trust would be and but it requires so much trust before that. Like Mm -hmm. you can't just have a traumatized experience with a therapist and then go and do psychedelics with someone because you, it's so much more vulnerable, you know, your defenses are down and, um, you know, I think that would have to be a slow process and requires so much trust and safety and Mm -hmm. rapport and a lot of work before that would ever enter that space. Um, it's really vulnerable and really intimate and, um, it's where we can do really deep work, but our systems have to feel incredibly safe for those barriers to come down so that Mm. we can actually go there. Right. And there's, um, this idea that like, or the way I think about trauma is too much too soon, too fast. Mm -hmm. So whatever the experience was happened too much, too soon, too fast for a system to handle. So it was traumatic. And I think with ketamine, I like to really go low and slow with 
most of my patients, not all, but someone with a trauma history so that their nervous system, their defenses, psychological, emotional, physical, and their like protector parts, which I can speak more to feel safe enough. Because if I were to just dose them and they're going in, guess what? Their trauma response is going to come online and protect them. And they're not going to go in. They're not going to get what you know, the medicine could potentially give them access to. Right. So, so is that, is it similar to how they say when, um, if you take psilocybin or even, Mm -hmm. I guess for some people, alcohol, depending on like a person's Mm -hmm. body chemistry, the mood you have going into Mm -hmm. it, like the vibes have to be right. Kind of a situation. Yeah. I think the term that we use a lot is set and setting. So the mindset and the setting that you're in are like imperative to the tone (laughs) of the trip. So how your mindset is like the inner landscape and then the setting environment relationship to the person guiding or whoever's there facilitating, um, you know, what does the room look like? What does it feel like? Um, that's kind of the external um, piece to that. Yeah. So some people, you know, like really like to be in nature for certain experiences or for, you know, ketamine. And in my office, like I really love to make the space feel warm, safe. I, all of my furniture is rounded. Oh, your, your office is beautiful. I've creeped on your Instagram for any of our (laughs) listeners. You, we will drop a link to her Instagram. If you're in California, the Laguna beach area, correct? Yeah. My office is in Costa Mesa. Yeah. You are accepting new clients though. If I'm currently, I, I yes, am. Thank yes, you. Yes. yes. And I gotta say if it's a vibe, it's beautifully done. Oh, I, it's it's especially like an aesthetic I enjoy, but I'm just like, yeah. I see it. I'm like, Oh my God, I want to tell you everything. I just want to like get into <laughs> that deep stuff. But yeah, I, I think like, it's so important, right? Yeah. It's the setting and it's a setting our environment. Too. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And when I feel good there, you know, you can that do means your other best people work. are going to feel yeah. right. Yeah. 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 So it's a super intentional space um, for that reason. And yeah, there's not a lot of sharp edges. It's kind of neutral colors and yeah, it's cozy. So, so you that's create part this... of the set and setting. Mm-hmm. So you create this space. Um, mm-hmm. Do you, how does it work with actually administering the ketamine or yeah, like I can you get got a guy for that or like, well, cause I, I've just, <laughs> yeah. I was trying to figure out how this is done. Cause yeah. I know, you know, you, you have to be a doctor or mm-hmm. a physician assistant, I believe, or an, and is a DMP yeah. you to write prescription prescribe. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I am not a doctor. Okay. I do not pretend to be, I work with <laughs> journey clinical Mm -hmm. Um, and they are this amazing company kind of working to give access to, um, ketamine assisted therapy. Um, and they're in a bunch of different States right now. They're not everywhere in the U S but I mean, more than a handful right now. So they are in California. So, um, I think it's best to start by like first delineating between ketamine assisted therapy. Yeah which has the psychotherapy component and then ketamine therapy or treatment, which is usually in clinics or hospital settings Mm -hmm. where you're getting an IV transfusion. There's not a therapist 
usually on site, which is, um, I will try to <laughs> be objective. Well, no, I mean, use your, if you also are a practitioner and you're allowed to have your opinions, I, I yeah, personally wouldn't want to be yeah. like medically roofied and then just left yeah. to my own devices. Right. That seems to me to be like very dark and scary. Yeah. I, I partner with some of them so that it, at least they can connect some of the clients to me for integration afterwards. But yeah, like they're, it could just, it has higher risk for therapeutic um, issues. Like there's no prep, there's no integration. Um, you might have a very mystical experience and not know how to kind of center back into your normal state. Um, you, they're usually high doses and um, it, there's just more research around ketamine assisted therapy being more long lasting and more effective because of the integration and because of the relational aspect that's happening in a, addition and in connection with the medicine. So I like to think about psychedelic therapy as like, there's this three way relationship. There's the therapist or the guide, there's the client or the journeyer, and then there's the medicine, the spirit of the medicine. And they kind of all have their own chemistry and they all work together to create this experience. It's not linear or there's no hierarchy. It's like, they're all pretty integral to that awesome relationship. Mm -hmm. Were you going to say something, Chelsea? No, no, no. Okay. So a person comes, do, do, so if someone were to come into your office, you have a client, mm -hmm. new mm -hmm. client, and they're like, here for that ketamine assisted therapy, mm -hmm. would you, it sounds like you would be unlikely to just mm -hmm. green light that. And it would more be a, you know, an onboarding process, a kind of historical clinical evaluation, mm -hmm. and then you would work up to that. And then say, let's say you, you, you green light them, they're in like Flynn, you're going to do it. How many sessions does a person need? Is this like one incredible trip that just solves the problem? Or is it more traditional, like in the way talk therapy is, where mm. you need a series of the experiences or sessions to kind of have micro breakthroughs? Yeah, great question. So um I kind of hear two questions in that. So like one is when a client comes in interested in that, we would first explore like why, like what mm -hmm. is bringing them to that, um, really exploring, you know, both the desire for it, maybe some fears, the anxieties. Um, and I think, again, slowing down that process is so important to actually mm -hmm. get them to be in a place to actually receive the medicine in the way that they deserve. Um, so green that. light is, yeah, again, this is like, there's literally no one size fits all. <laughs> so, you know, well, I appreciate you trying to offer like, generally, most, like yeah. 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 And so, you know, some people, um, at first, when I first started working with this, it, I was really keeping it to clients that I've worked to for a long time where there was like rapport and safety already embedded in that relationship. And mm -hmm. I held a lot of their history. And so we could like really kind of, we knew where we were at, you know? Yeah. 
And then recently opening up for kind of more adjunct therapy. So some people are coming in who have their own therapists or are mm. doing their own work and want this to be like a component of it, of their journey. Right. But I'm just sort of this like other container of this chapter of work. And it's been like really cool. Um, yeah, I can speak to that, but to get to the more protocol process, um, once that green light is there, then I would refer them to journey clinical. And that's where there's, um, like a more medical intake to just kind of assess, um, if there's any, you know, issues with current medications, any kind of history that would preclude them from being a good candidate. That's, um, kind of rare considering ketamine can, um, usually it's, it's interesting. It's like, um, a lot of SSRIs or other psychotropic medication for most other psychedelics, you'd want to titrate off of before using, but with ketamine, you can kind of do that. So that's also like more accessible to people who, you know, have needed other medication, right. Um, and don't have time or don't want to get off their medications. Um, it's safe to do that. Um, mm. Again, that's kind of generally speaking. Mm -hmm. And then from there, once that happens, the nurse practitioners for Journey Clinical are prescribing and dosing. So they're sort of the kind of um, barometer on the dosing. And then they FedEx the ketamine to the client and the client will then bring that ketamine into my office. They're only prescribed two sessions for that first time, um, which sort of helps um, dictate kind of one safety, right? Like they're yeah. not just mm -hmm. getting access to ketamine, like it's for this process. <laughs> and, um, and then I think, again, there's not a one size fits all, but research sort of says that the most benefit comes from about six sessions consistently or um, not consistently, but in sequence. So like one or two times a week with medicine, with some integration in between and definitely after. Mm. I don't always necessarily do six depending on the clients. Um, sometimes it's six and then like months later, a booster. So it really, again, sort of depends on the patient, what their intentions are what we're treating, um, some of the kind of relational stuff that might be there. Yeah. And their, their kind of level of care and support that they need. Awesome. So yeah. like you said, not one size fits all. It's very patient dependent mm -hmm. and based on your, you rarely, it sounds like you were you rarely will, I don't want to say rarely adjunct, but you like to have an established history with the patient prior to offering. I actually love both. I oh, love I like both. That. I see. Yeah. I really think it's been beautiful to do. I, I think as a psychotherapist, <laughs> there's this like, it's, it's a really unique experience for me to kind of just like enter mm. and then exit. And like, see that transformation in a short time with someone who's coming in with like just an adjunct, you know, 
there's a little bit of sadness and grief that I don't get to know like what happens Mm -hmm. after really but like I get just such a special view into that that work and so So kind of like it's doctor that delivers a baby like totally it's like for this like really special transformative psychedelic experience yeah I learned birth was a psychedelic experience totally totally yeah tying that back (laughs) yeah yeah so yeah that's kind of a cool um experience for me but uh, yeah to then also I think what's special about these more long-term clients is that that was also my experience as a patient. Like I had worked with my therapist for a long time before doing medicine, which created this super safe environment. And then for her to be able to hold my whole history and integrate that with me and then continue to do work together. It's just like, I know what that feels like as a recipient and how special that is. So yeah, I, I love both and anywhere in between. Are these more like adjunct um, clients that you're taking on? Are you connecting with their primary therapists? Are you like, yeah, that's a great question. And part of my um, intake with anyone who is seeking that adjunct is really making sure they have support. So a therapist that they're working with, I usually will not take them if they don't have a therapist and if Mm -hmm. I don't have room to continue working with them afterward. Okay. Um, so yeah, if that's the case, then I am getting a release of information and connecting with their current therapist and just making sure that we're, you know, getting comprehensive understanding of the patient and also, you know, when termination does come, like that chapter of work is done that, you know, there's a place for them to really land and continue that work. I think that takes me to my next question too, which is what is the post session protocol? Like, Mm -hmm. is there anything specific they're supposed to do within the next 24, 48 hours, two weeks? Like how long? I'm sure it's also my favorite question, your favorite question. I'm sure it's also very, well, this is just like, yeah, but this is kind of where I feel like the magic happens is like, you have the medicine trip, but then, so there's like, in a typical ketamine cap session, it's usually about two to three hours and the client is in the medicine for about an hour, hour and a half. Mm. And then that last hour and a half is early integration and processing. So they might be verbally sharing what they just experienced. We might do some somatic work. They might do some art. They're just kind of translating, getting these like really fresh downloads down somewhere right yeah um we're processing what you know kind of linking together some things and like making some connections um early on so that happens like pretty you know quickly when Mm -hmm. their brain is um this really ripe window of neuroplasticity looking for more daily reframe inspiration Then follow us on socials by searching at the underscore daily underscore reframe or check out our website at www.thedailyreframe.com. What is neuroplasticity? Can you get into that? Yeah. Um, Again, I'm not a scientist doctor, but um, it is when neuroplasticity 
plasticity means that like our neurons can be plastic, right? So they can harden or they can kind of become elastic. And we want neuroplasticity to be part of this process because that's where neural connections can be made. So there's this metaphor that I use with clients often. When we're born, we develop, you know, ways of thinking, feeling, and being um, to stay safe, to feel accepted, whatever that is, right? And kind of imprints our personality or behaviors or cognition. And in our brain, there's these neural pathways, and it's like a fresh mountain of powder if we're skiing. And over time, we tend to stick to the same grooves over and over and over again. I know that path. I know that path. This I is like such going a right. good analogy. This yeah. is such a good analogy. Right? So that path gets so worn out. Why would we go left when I know the right is safe? I know where that's going to go. However, we should go left. That's tricks, fresh path. Tricks on us. <laughs> Jokes on us. That right groove doesn't always get us where we want to go. So neuroplasticity gives us this window in our brain that we can actually start to practice going left. Like we might not do that right away. Like your life is not going to change. Your behaviors are not going to change. Your, you know, relationship to self might not change like right when you land from this trip. Right. But there's this window that then we can practice. It's like opening up these grooves Mm. and pathways to help us maybe do a different thing. So that's that might be the best analogy I heard in 2023. Oh and Hell I yes. love a good analogy. So <laughs> I'm not even sure where I'm I got. Just, I think that might have been a Michael anytime Pullen. I so also we in our last episode, I was talking about the omnivores dilemma, which is one oh, of perfect. I mm-hmm. I'm a huge fan. Um he's the best. If we could ever mm-hmm. ha- have him on the show. Life oh my god, great. yes. Um, but anytime I snowboard going forward, I will be thinking, mm-hmm. especially on a powder day, of this analogy. Yes. Thank you for that, Allie. I appreciate yeah, it. Yeah, you're so welcome. Yeah, and like it can actually feel like that in our brains. Like there's like this movement that happens of like we're stuck, you know, and that's usually why people are coming to these medicines. It's like they're aware of the stuck. I'm stuck and I keep doing the same fucking thing get me out of this loop. Right. And that doesn't always happen, but it is a pathway to that and can be. And so for ketamine, that window that for sure, 24 hours is like imperative 48 is there. And then it can last up to two weeks, but it sort of decreases over time. Um, so for patients that are like their first medicine session, like they're clearing their whole day. Yeah. They're clearing their next day because that is like imperative time to just like take care of yourself and like mm-hmm. keep that window really juicy. So this is yeah. not like going in for a mani-pedi, a massage. Totally. Like you are, this is like a almost like you were taking time off like as if you were getting a procedure done. Yeah. Or like that feels a bit lobotomizing, but like I think it's like this being you're gentle. going you're you're like going on a retreat and you want this space and time just for yourself and whatever that means to you and it's going to be different for everyone and that's part of integration is figuring out what are the practices or rituals ways of feeding ourselves ways of taking care of ourselves that are going to just keep us connected to what we just mm, experienced. Yeah. So that might be 
being in nature or taking a bath or laying in bed and reading or, you know, whatever, like it could be cuddling with your pet, um, journaling, music. I, I give my clients the playlist that we use so that they can listen back because that can also keep you connected to that space really yeah, well, a, like that I association. That. Yeah. That is so cool. And I burn um, kind of depending on the day, different incense or Palo Santo or sage. And then I also give them that to take home so that they can, again, like in their All own the different space. senses, bringing exactly. you back to the experience. Yes. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, I think it's a, maybe that window is like a little retreat for yourself and you have what? to invest in it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. seems like this is in every way, like you are planning in advance, in advance for this experience and yeah. after as well. Yeah. And you know, that might not always be possible, right? Like there's mm-hmm. people who have all different kinds of jobs. They have kids, they have whatever, like that might not totally be available, but it's like the intention behind it. What, what is realistic? And I think with ketamine, the window's shorter. Mm. You're going to feel back in your body. You're going to feel a bit more normal, quicker with other medicines. You might really need a few days, you know, so sort of, um, yeah, but that's, that's the gist there. Yeah. Thanks. Integration. So it's just being gentle with yourself. Yeah. Like you're trying totally. to, yeah, that makes me very happy to hear. Cause I think <laughs> with a lot of therapies, sometimes there isn't a lot of emphasis placed on what happens when you step out of the office. And yeah. I think that's a very, yeah, well, and mm-hmm. you've just been so vulnerable. Oh so my you're God. also yeah. in a very fragile place a lot of yeah. So Yeah. I love yeah, that. I think that's so true. And like, you know, I've been in therapy for years and it's still one of the most vulnerable places I go with myself. Yeah. And yeah. I have a lot of resources. I have a lot of practice. Like, yeah. you know, and it's this like is literally your job. It's yeah. What you do. But like, yeah, you walk out like with your yeah. insides open. And so right. there mm-hmm. does have to be a lot of, you know, in regular kind of psychotherapy, but it's especially with medicine, like closing back up. And we do a ritual around that for their bodies, for like even just closing the energetic circle, like we'll have a real intentional ending so that they feel safe going back out into the world. You know, it's jarring. It's like (laughs) you just went totally internal to this space and then you have to kind of go back out into the world. And yeah, I have this one client that said – this was actually had nothing to do with um, medicine. It was just for his experience in therapy when he's like, he said that um, a previous therapist of his said, you know, I see you walk in with your armor and you take it off. And then I see you walk out and you put it back on. Yeah. And, you know, I think we, we do that to stay safe, you know, and it's Mm -hmm. like, it's a pleasure and, hard to take it off sometimes, but then yeah. we do need some sort of resourcing to go back out into the world after, because that's not always safe Yeah, to be that raw. Well, I love that. Thank you for explaining mm-hmm. that. Yeah. But so what you said, you had mentioned that you use ketamine assisted therapy to treat your post- 
Wait, no. PMDD. PM. Okay. Uh, <laughs> so a mood related disorder. What other, uh-huh. I don't know, like what, who would be a good candidate? Is this like mm-hmm. bipolar disorder? Like what depression, mm-hmm. antidepressant, like what, I guess, yeah. what is it? The DSM? I think SM? Most D- DSM. DSM. <laughs> most five? typically it, um, I'd say a lot of the research and, you know, kind of safest candidates are people who have suffered from chronic depression, anxiety, PTSD, OCD. Um, those are like the top kind of struggles. Mm-hmm. Um, I say chronic resistant treatment, resistant depression, um, because that's kind of where most of the studies to legalize ketamine was like used in hospitals routinely and still is today. It's an anesthetic. Um, so like if you had major surgery, that was probably that or, um, part of the anesthesia. So, you know, they've worked with it for so long that now it's just easier to be legalized in the therapeutic sense because of that. But yeah, depression is kind of the big ticket there. Um, and I think I've seen personally that ketamine because of the quality of the experience, um, I tend to see that it connects people back to joy and pleasure more often. And that's not always the case with other medicines. Like ketamine specifically has that kind of access for whatever reason. And I think that's because of the certain you know, mechanisms that it plays on in the brain specifically, it accesses those. Um, so yeah, but now there's research around eating disorders. Um, you mentioned bipolar and I'd say for someone who we kind of like, I do try to steer clear away from DSM terminology when I can, because it has, again, this very westernized, um, pathology, right? Like that Mm -hmm. these are the not normal things to be. And yet we could find ourselves all over that book, you know, like, yeah. However, it is a way to kind of categorize certain issues. Right. Um, Mm -hmm. but so bipolar, anything that has like this flexible emotionality, like, highly flexible, right? So that might mean you have really high highs and really low lows, or if there's what is called, you know, personality disorders, which is basically just deep, deep attachment wounds. Yeah. If those are present, that can be very difficult with medicine just because of the trauma, right? The attachments that come up between the person guiding and the person um, experiencing that state, it can induce more flexibility in the psyche, which can be scarier, right? Can be more disarming. And then integration can be tricky. So it's not like they're ruled out. There's a lot of practitioners that can work with that, but it, you know, it requires a deep, deep prep and deep, deep integration. When you say integration, Mm -hmm. what do you mean by that? So integration is kind of making something whole. You're kind of taking all of these parts um, 
and kind of metabolizing or chewing or digesting something so that it's actually transformed. So we could have, you know, anyone can go take mushrooms or, you know, have these experiences and that can be great. Like those are sacred plant medicines that can give you a lot, but integration comes into play when we're trying to apply, right? We're trying to take what we've experienced and then use it to integrate into our daily life moving forward. Mm -hmm. And that's Mm -hmm. where like real long lasting benefits change and effects can like really root in us. Right. So that's not just in the, um, psychological integration, right? That might be somatic practices. That might be um, creative practices. It's a real felt sense. And I think that's what medicines like, you know, I think this kind of comes down to the crux in your podcast. This is the reframe. This is like, we can talk, talk, talk around our problems all day. And that could take a long time. It's helpful to some degree, but medicine gives us access to the felt sense, to the experiential, and then we have a different reference point to come mm. back to when we're thrown back into life and yeah. shit happens again and we're in that place again. We have another deeper, more um, embodied sense of change and something so different. Is it almost like recoding the our mm-hmm. response to the prior experience? Or the underlying trigger, whatever trauma. And because I know EMDR, right? We are like very similar, like you're reliving the traumatic moment, bringing your, but in a new environment and kind of almost like re yeah. imaging I've that ta- experience. Yeah, I've talked to other therapists. So I don't do EMDR, um, not trained in it. Um, but from what I understand and when I've talked to other therapists that do it, I think it's probably there's a lot of similarities in that specific to the ketamine because of the dissociation. Um, so it's I think we focus on something like in my training, it was kind of like the zoom out. Right. So yeah. other medicines kind of help you zoom in on trauma. Ketamine helps you zoom out out so that there's this space and distance between, you know, it might not be like you're experiencing the trauma. It, it It's whatever you're feeling in that state, in that sentence setting. So like an emotion, a physical sense, an image, pleasure, trauma, whatever it is with distance so that you can observe it and see it without it. that high yeah, reactivity. Um, which oh, I you think just, is similar. I love the way you just described that because oh, I think, well, I think there's, there a lot of people talk about these types of experiences. Like I, I was listening to a different podcast where this individual just kept saying like, it's all about the integration moment, the moment of integration mm-hmm. or plant medicine mm-hmm. and integrate. And I'm like, but you're not telling me what I need to know. Like what is actually mm-hmm. happening in this moment? Yeah. When you say that like, so right. it's it it almost seems like there's it creates this the ability to pause, take a step back, and see a whole problem rather than a like hyper focus yes. microscopic yeah. view on maybe one element. You could see the collective picture that you wouldn't otherwise mm-hmm. be able to see or understand because For of the sure. traumatic experience. And even further than that, it puts you into this felt sense, this remembering that we 
are just one little part of a whole collective. Like there's just so much more beyond us, a universe that we is holding us like, you know, and kind of defies like any person's, you know, whatever kind of religious or cultural, yeah, um, you know, frame that they're coming in with. Right. But there's just this um, felt sense of interconnectedness. So it, yeah, it really takes you out of your egoic mind and into a more holistic um, place of understanding and being with yourself and being with these feelings that can feel a lot safer and yeah. like less intense and with, you know, less reaction and less fear. Um, so we if might pers- meet, go ahead. No, we might meet fear. Like I, there's been plenty of clients who as much prep as we did, their defenses were still up, right? Like this mm-hmm. is still such a vulnerable experience and anxiety is going to be a part of it. Like to just sit there with a person and like, know you're going inward to there's the unknown and with the unknown we're not good with that so so there's been plenty of clients who we and this is what's so fascinating about it you're never going to get anything you don't always get the experience you want but you'll get the experience you need and so even if there's those defenses up, we can, they can feel that and see that so much more clearly. So if fear comes up, if anxiety comes up, if they're kind of even self-sabotaging the experience, they're like, they'll know why. Yeah. 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 We can like work with that part. Yeah. And they're like, oh, this is that thing I do. I'm doing it right now. And I'm like, yeah, I'm doing the thing. (laughs) Yeah. So like, what's that part needing, you know, like how can we kind of be with that and actually use this? It's, that's the zooming in, right? Mm-hmm. But you're zoomed out in a way that you are witnessing it. But what happens if a person, because it sounds like this helps you disassociate in a beneficial way, but what if a mm-hmm. person's problem lies in mm-hmm. the fact that they have disassociated? Right. So dissociation is like a super complex, holds multitudes of psychological fodder. Like I am not an expert in that, but the place that I trained and I'll shout out to them because they're amazing Polaris insight center. They're in San Francisco. The three founders, um, one of them is an expert in dissociation and he, he speaks about ketamine so beautifully because he calls it, um, you know, a medicine that dissociates us for reassociation. So it's Mm. like that, that integration piece. It's like, we dissociate in a safe way that we're not out of body. We're not like, I don't know what happened or, you know, I'm not here. It's like, I'm taking a step back to see this and then I understand it it so that I can come back to myself and feel differently about it. Um, so for people that have dissociation, like as sort of a trauma response, which, you know, is highly common. There's a scale that some therapists use to kind of assess where they're at. It's not a rule out. And in some cases, if that's there, it can be a way back to self. But yeah, there's some therapists that feel, you know, they don't take clients that have high levels of dissociation or they'd have to do a lot more prep before that. But I don't, I don't think I can speak specifically to like yeah. all of those gradients, but 
it yeah it's common like we all dissociate on some level and so it doesn't mean that you know that's not the medicine for you okay I have a question. Well, this is, it's not really a question. It's something that I was, I wanted to have a conversation about. And I think that we're like naturally leading into it. Mm-hmm. Um, I've done a lot of spiritual work. I grew up in a family that did a lot of spiritual work. My husband has a very similar upbringing. And one of the things that we were both taught in going through shamanism or whatever other um, mm. experience we were having was that any type of assistance is a shortcut to something that you're going to have to go back and work a lot harder at. And I was curious if you've ever had conversations like this. And what I'm hearing you say is that there's so much benefit because you're going through this experience and you're building a roadmap for you to be able, when you encounter it again, to have the tools to, to navigate it. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's a way of resourcing. Um, yeah. And like resourcing can mean a lot of different things, but like grounded in a different way, that other reference point, you have other options. You've expanded again from that black or white. There's only two choices to like, wait, I have like all of this gray area and room yeah. to choose differently or show up differently. There's more self-trust there, mm-hmm. you know, because a lot of these experiences, like I'm not doing anything that the medicine's not doing anything. It's already in them. Like yeah. it's, it's there. They can just finally access that. And so, yeah, I totally agree with that. I think that there's a fear that you will grow dependent upon the thing that gets you to this place mm-hmm. where you need to be. And so it mm-hmm. doesn't sound like there's any, you're, you're being given the tools to deal with it when you are completely just in your own body, not being assisted by anything. Um, you mean like, like that someone would want ketamine or that to achieve, mm-hmm. to like achieve. Oh, uh-huh. To, to go back to those places, to like unlock the things, to right. be able to deal with them, to go through them. You will need to be assisted in that journey every time. I think that's where the fear comes mm. from or like mm-hmm. the, you need to stay away from that because it's not going to yeah. actually help you. Um, okay. Yeah, heal. totally. Yeah. I think um, we talk about this idea of inner healing intelligence and that we all have this innate wisdom within Mm -hmm. us. We have been conditioned radically to disconnect from it. Right. Like radically, you know, and even when we think we've reconnected there, it's like just the surface. And so I think that with most safe experiences with medicine mm-hmm. with the right therapist and the right prep and integration I shouldn't say right with well-fitted therapists mm-hmm. and a healthy level of those things yeah you're not creating a dependence on the medicine yeah. you're creating that internal safety and trust within yourself because it's come from you that's so awesome. that's the ultimate goal yeah I love that I think that's so important yeah. for people to hear yeah, yeah kind of yeah. like I'm glad you asked that because I think it the the idea and maybe I'm wrong Chelsea so correct me if this is not what you're saying but like when people use or abuse substances generally like it's like with 
alcohol, like they keep using a thing or eating something because it's like bringing them back to this good feeling. Mm-hmm. Whereas like it's a manufacturing of a feeling. Maybe. I think it's more like the tools necessary to heal yourself. Mm. Like the tool that you're using is not within your own power. Like you're not creating it from yourself. So it's a fear of a dependency on the tool to get you there to heal. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, and that comes up with therapy. Like you yeah. don't want to, like, there's a fear that I'm going to become dependent on the therapist because I can't then I haven't Process learned without. the tools to do that with myself, you know? And, um, this leads me to want to like, just say two important things. One is Western society has really shaped us to heal in individualistic form in vacuums by ourselves. And it can be harmful. Like most of these medicines were done in groups in the collective where we're in community, where we're in connection. And Mm -hmm. that's where healing is. That's why therapy can work because you're in relationship to someone. Like we don't heal alone. Like you can't, there's no mirror, there's nothing. You're just you know, and then there's the potential that it's an echo chamber. If that therapist is not doing their work, right, then it could just, it could lead to some dependence. Um, Mm -hmm. So your question is really great. I'm glad we said that, but I'm also, there, there are, again, without safety and integrity, there could definitely be a window for people to use this as a way of bypassing. Yeah. So it can be an escape. It can lead to, oh, this thing made me feel better and I got out of that state. I don't like my ordinary state of consciousness. I want to be in a non-ordinary state all the time. I'm going to keep using and using and using. Or they're in a medicine experience and they can't wait for the next one instead of being present for this one. You know, so- Again, I think dependent on the person, dependent sure. on the situation. Um, but yeah, I think again, that's why safety with the person is mm-hmm. so important. Um, and that integration and processing is imperative because that could go sort of not caught, you know, and yeah. then, yeah, but so both sides for sure. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. I know that mm-hmm. it's, I feel like it's a pain point for some people when my mm-hmm. husband and I have talked about it to others. And so it's, mm-hmm. it's very nice to hear, yeah, hear your thoughts Good. on it. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to, we're going to pivot a little bit. So sure. we just, we went down pretty deep into ketamine assisted <laughs> therapy and I love it. And I'm sure our listeners are extremely appreciative. You've, you've opened my mind up to a lot of I had read about it but I just feel like I have a better under like more dynamic understanding of the concepts and what hmm. it's meant to do in the proper application the benefits and also like what kind of the red flags so if you are mm-hmm. looking for a practitioner like best practices whatnot right. if they're offering you know just number maybe- one ask them where they were trained what work are they doing do they mm-hmm. have a therapist do they have mentors who's holding space for them yeah mm-hmm. that's the number one question love that love mm-hmm. that now i know psilocybin mdma they are also mm-hmm. substances that have 
I'll say, quote, an off-brand use for mm-hmm. treatment purposes. They are not legal, but they are moving towards legalization or at least psilocybin is. I know Colorado, it's on the map. Massachusetts currently has pending legislation. Now, we won't get into you know the, the policy behind it, but I think there is a similar argument, at least with psilocybin, um, that, mm-hmm. you know, recreational, well, medical marijuana and then recreational marijuana kind of there, it mirrored, it paralleled, if you will, at least in Massachusetts, mm-hmm. which that is, that, that is going to be the place I'm speaking from, but without getting into, you know, the different legislative policies and reasons, mm-hmm. pros, cons, uh, psilocybin, I mean, I think based on, you know, we'll speak conceptually about this, um, uh, similar benefits to ketamine is it you when we were discussing kind of not quote a scale of intensity but kind of different realms of intensity it seemed like ketamine was the least intense or minimally intense compared to psilocybin now what's interesting about it is you have these two compounds you know natural or chemically formed compounds that you know, in, in my view, it's, I guess you could maybe call it like the social perception of them. Like ketamine is a date rape drug for a lot of people. They associate ketamine with roofies, whereas psilocybin, like my father associated it with like, in his words, like far out dude, kind of, you know, dazed and confused era. So it seems like there's a rebranding of both these substances on the horizon. Mm. And do you think they have a similar trajectory and use or application or is it, is psilocybin in its own kind of category? And could a person, you know, kind of like you were to be described out of versus Adderall or I think those are in the two similar drug Mm -hmm. class, but are they are they the similar type of application or would you say psilocybin is for more like a different type of scenario for the people that have been using it like off brand? I would say they're very different. I for lots of reasons, I just think psilocybin is a plant medicine. It's been I mean, it's yeah, like an old, old wise medicine that is yeah from the earth from the ground right and so you is it seems like mm-hmm. you're saying there's even more of a reason for psilocybin to be legalized because of its historical kind of social no. roots no no i might even say i don't think we should have anything to do with legalizing it because and this it's is, such a bryce bryce brought this up in episode mm-hmm. was it three or four the bastardization of a religious mm-hmm. experience mm-hmm. Yeah, well it's brother. like yeah we're mostly white doctors and westernized therapists trying to structure and you know yeah it has a lot to offer but like who are we to do that i don't know so yeah i mean again i'm not an expert i have that's my opinion mm-hmm. um but you know i also really believe in safety in these things and so sometimes that again in the right hands and the right places that can create huge benefits right and that's why i think there's a huge push to you know have these trials and research you know yeah 
but it's going to create a lot of issues too. And um, so I think they're different medicines. You know, ketamine is something that is, we made it and, you know, <laughs> psilocybin is not man-made in that way. Um, but I think you're also touching on kind of this, like the war on drugs, right. And this kind of, you're saying like rebranding, um, but it's, it's like a re-emergence these, especially plant medicines, they've been around forever. Been around right. For, and yeah. in so many cultures and circles and, um, there's a resurgence now because the war on drugs just, you know, for those generations was just instilling fear and propaganda around. Mm -hmm. um, it was a way to disconnect us from these actually soul mind manifesting experiences, you know? Um, so now there's this reemergence, which is beautiful, but it's definitely going to have its issues. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, even with ketamine, right? We're kind of seeing it play out that like, unfortunately, this is, you have to have some amount of wealth to access this. Like mm -hmm. insurance does not cover it. So like that's going to happen with other medicines if they're legal. And so it's hard. It's super complex. I think it's a bit controversial. Um, but in terms of what they're treating, I think a lot of these are going to be like psilocybin. I think, like you said, you know, it's there's a lot of work around PTSD and same with Ibogaine. Um, MDMA is huge for relational trauma, for um, couples work. I mean, it, it, you know, so they treat a bunch of different ailments, if you will. <laughs> Do you think MDMA is more likely or could have because it, you know, let's just the argument ketamine's man-made, mm -hmm. MDMA man-made, it mm -hmm. has more of a the potential to be legalized and used as a pharmaceutical mm. like treatment therapy or will it be well, too I hard to outrun? Psilocybin, I could be wrong. I think psilocybin is, um, what's the word? Not legalized, but um, medically authorized. Fuck, decriminalized in mm -hmm. um. Well, so in Colorado, it, yeah, and yes. in Oregon, right? Yeah. In so Oregon? when I when I say legalized, I'm saying on a right. It is no longer a scheduled one, two, or three substance. Right. Um, okay. Yeah. On the federal I, level. Yeah, and then I don't know. I don't think. I can speak to like which one would be, you know, there's a maps is doing so much to push both of them, but and what I is maps know. maps is, <laughs> um, the multidisciplinary organization. No, what is it? The maps are, what is it? Of something this, of so, this so, happens in the law all the time when you've just been using shorthand like, references or maps.org is what I'm talking about. Let's, what is it? Multidisciplinary something of psychedelics. What's A? Multidisciplinary Association for Psychedelic association. Studies. Thank you. When in doubt, yeah. throw an association in there, huh? Yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, the founder is like poured his heart and soul and a lot of money. And there's just um, 
been a huge wave of that pushing forward into legalization. There's the shadow of this too, right? That Mm -hmm. I don't know if you guys ever listened to um, the podcast that came out. What's it called? This is the part of the podcast where I'm brain dead. Um, (laughs) You're doing great. I mean, we're getting towards the end here. So it's been almost two hours. You're doing wonderful. A podcast that um, sort of exposed some of the trials and experiments and trainings that um, sort of took on a form of its own. And there was a lot of sexual assault and abuse happening in those spaces mm. because the psychedelics sort of opens up that, you know, if again, if you're not in integrity and safety, it could go a very different way. Yeah. And so MAPS kind of got exposed. You know, they're a great organization to a amazing things and there's also the shadow part like there's, there's always, not yeah. light with dark yeah. yeah so yeah that's yeah just going to be something for us to be kind of conscious of and kind of watching and being mindful of as this continues to expand and unfold i'm curious because you mentioned it earlier what is like the average cost for someone to mm-hmm. receive ketamine without insurance well insurance never covers it right Right. Um, Or is it Medicaid? There's no assistant whatsoever. Like there, there might be, I think it's like happening as we speak. Um, I know some people have tried, it depends. So I think there is, but it's really uncommon and it's hard. So I couldn't tell you which insurances do, but it's, very unlikely it's not widely accessible right Mm now um so that's a barrier to access for sure um sort of depends on the treatment i didn't speak to this but there's iv administration there's Mm -hmm. im intramuscular and then there's lozenges Mm -hmm. which is sublingual so that's what i use in my practice because not a doctor i'm not shooting anyone right right um I'm yeah. shocked to hear that insurance doesn't cover it because how, why would pharma be producing a substance mm-hmm. they couldn't be paid for? Like one of their biggest avenues is. Well, I think they do. I think they are like there are currently you can. It's, but it's just, just not less common in this realm. Yeah. Like if you've tried to get therapy in the past, like it's there's tons of therapists who take insurance, right? But it's hard to find and it's hard to find the right PPO. Like, yeah, it's the same issues here with ketamine from what I can see right now. And I don't take insurance. So, um, you know, I've tried to find places that do so that I can refer out. But usually private practice practitioners like myself, they're not in network um, mm-hmm. for, you know, I could get into that whole messed up system. But <laughs> it's, you know, we're we're working in a dysfunctional system oh yeah so that's a part of it yeah um, believe me girl you knew my yeah, yeah i i hate insurance but right yeah. it's really you have to jump through it's like swiss cheese like stacked swiss yeah. cheese if yeah. you don't fall through and each of these small holes honestly you're deprived it's, treatment it's, yeah and it can be re-traumatizing for mm-hmm. you know patients who well because you're being you're being invalidated you're being told Mm -hmm. that your experience and what you have been diagnosed with or are going through is doesn't qualify as a recognized you know recognized 
disease or diagnosis that's can you know justify treatment so yeah and there's like levels of oppression in this and mm-hmm. racism and all the things you know like mm-hmm. it's it's hard like i know i'm a part of that system and so i hold you know four spots for sliding scale clients one spot for low fee with my ketamine work i'm trying to set up a system where um you know some of the higher paying fee clients can like cover a spot for someone for like lower sliding scale fee so you know that works into pricing fees yeah. structure too yeah. is like you know i think i my partner he says like what does he call it the the wealthy well we're just keeping the wealthy mm, well well yeah. you know and it's hard because that's that doesn't that's not inherently bad cuz hopefully those people also help other people but i really try to make space for my practice to yeah. also be accessible to people that can't do this and so that's you know somewhere i'm working two is how do i make this somewhat equitable while also providing you know a salary for me yeah <laughs> um, right. of yeah. course because it is super you're not you deserve to be paid for the services you're offering like totally and, and no it's matter how much you know you're it's back. required yeah. a lot of training which is expensive it's requires a lot of energy a lot of time my presence you know it's like weird it's like i'm literally <laughs> i am the vet i'm the tool you know you are the tool and so yeah it's it's like yeah. So anyway, I, I think that is a problem in this. And when other things become legal, how that plays in it. And maybe, you know, I'm really hopeful that there will be systems and organizations that really help to manage that. And um, yeah, that people can access these things depend, you know, regardless of what walk of life they're coming in at. Okay, but how much does it cost? Just okay. I'm so, so curious. Um, yeah, I I don't know. I couldn't say the average, um, yeah. like across the board. For like, I'm in Orange County. My practice, I have um, like a, it's by hour, so yeah, it's two twenty five per hour, um, and. But that for could them be to, two to three hours. But for them to just get the medicine, like what is. Oh, the cost for the, for ketamine itself. So, um, so the intake with journey clinical is one fifty. Once they do the intake, then the ketamine prescription is $75. Oh, that's much more. Yeah. Cost effective than I thought, we I thought it would be like $2,000. No, like, it's, no, it's, it's like the a... therapy that's expensive. It's Got the, it. it's gotcha. the time and space that is um, the thing 75. Yeah. No, the ketamine itself, you can, if you're prescribed it, that's what it's doable. That's okay. what I was like, wait, so, oh shit. Yeah. No, this sense. is not, um, gold. Yeah. No. Okay. So that's good. Clarifying. It's really the, um, yeah, the process. It's, well, it's the therapy to get, yeah. cause usually if you're, if insurance, if you have a good insurance company or mm-hmm. you're in the right PPO, 
you're looking at what thirty dollar, twenty five, yeah. thirty dollar copay. And you know what? I misspoke. It. Like, there's a lot of people that. So I provide super bills. So again, if if they're, um, it just so depends. Like, if their PPO is already taking my super bills for therapy, they might take the super bill for ketamine. But a lot of them don't. So what's a super it, bill? I'm not going to pretend like I know what a super bill is. Oh, so so sorry. Super bill. It's so I most, okay. A super bill (laughs) is something that I can create and document for the client to then submit to their insurance. Mm. So they might not cover the whole fee, but they might get reimbursed for a portion of it. Got it. Okay, cool. So I'm out of network, but I can provide super bills. And a lot of people do that if they're out of network. Well. I really yeah. thought it was going to be like $2,000. Oh, my God. Yes. I was but really I, like I leading you somewhere. Wanna, no, but I do. I mean, it's not 150 like it dollars. Up. It's not nothing. No. Yeah. Like it adds up, well, especially okay. if you're put looking it, at six it. treatments. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Exactly. If you're. That's the thing. Is this. um you know, and again, I work with clients like if this is a barrier to access for the treatment they need, we're going to work together to figure it out. Like I'm not if if I have to refer them out maybe, but like or we find a sliding scale that makes it worth, you know, that they can yeah. do four to six sessions like, you know, there's that depends on the therapist, you know, but. um, Yeah, so it's it's how do I make this. um. what's the word like sustainable for the client Mm -hmm. accessible yeah sustainable yeah Mm -hmm. yeah well my mind's blown oh I (laughs) this was so cool because it was such a in-depth look into something that I've always been curious about and that I think you hear about or see from afar or you have that friend that, mm-hmm. you know, maybe right. had this crazy time up at the lake. We all have that friends, right? And they come back and they're like, I'm alive. I am enlightened. <laughs> like, I have seen things. My inner soul and child are connected, like whatever mm-hmm. the spiel, right? But mm-hmm. what you're doing is I think it's so important and so incredible because you are breaking down a barrier that a lot of people can't get past Mm -hmm. in talk therapy maybe you know or haven't been able to like you said Mm -hmm. become unstuck and now this is this is another it's it's another way around that kind of obstacle Mm -hmm. which I love another avenue oh that path isn't working for you let's go this way like you said you're creating a new groove in the snow Mm -hmm. um so thank you for that. Thank you for giving yeah. us your time today, um, educating us about something that I've been curious about. Chelsea and I've talked about, and that John Medved, the conservative, <laughs> Navy, you know, retired Navy businessman, and who doesn't have one of those in their lives? Right? Yeah, like I think that's one of the most relatable things. If you're a millennial or Gen Z, well, mostly a millennial, I'm sure. Like you have your boomer that you can relate to in that respect, but. Uh, thank you so much, Allie. If our, yes. if any listeners are in your area and are interested in exploring ketamine assisted therapy, where can they find you? How can they contact you? Assuming you're still accepting patients, um, and that, you know, you don't get 
built, uh, completely filled yeah. up within yeah. two hours of this episode releasing. Well, thank you so much for having me. It's like really, you know, I'm, I can nowhere near claim having like any expertise, but I do have my experience and like, it's been beautiful for me. So to be able to share it, I do feel like that's part of my duty mm-hmm. in this. And so I really appreciate the space and time to do that and the invitation um, and for you guys just being curious. Um, my website is allyrunkle.com. So A-L-L-I-E-R-U-N as in Nancy, K-E-L.com. <laughs> And you can find me on Instagram too at Allie Runkle Therapy Cove. Um, Therapy Cove is just the name of my office. And I try to create this protective. It looks like a really good cove. Cove. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that's where you can find me and um, yeah, learn more about what I offer. And I'm licensed in California. So that's where I practice and, but I'm happy to, you know, connect and answer questions. Again, I feel like that is part of the role I have. So feel free to reach out. If psilocybin does become legalized in Massachusetts or other Mm -hmm. states, would you be interested in coming back on assuming you you dive into that practice in California so oh fuck yeah awesome <laughs> yes, love it baby. I'll be back we're gonna anytime. need a follow-up on that we will. <laughs> yeah well, yeah thank you so much Allie thank you have guys. a wonderful evening oh thank you everyone. Thank you so much for listening to our conversation with Allie Runkle. Natalie and I loved diving into the world of ketamine-assisted therapy, and we really appreciate Allie's willingness to sit down with us. If you're interested in learning more about Allie and her practice, please see our show notes for her website and Instagram handle. And stay tuned for episode 14, dropping December 15th. This will be our final episode of season one, but don't worry. We've got some great bonus content coming to you as we get to work on season two of the Daily Reframe podcast. Have the best weekend, everyone. Thank you for joining us for another episode of The Daily Reframe. We hope you gained a fresh perspective on how to approach life's challenges with a renewed mindset. Remember, every obstacle presents an opportunity for growth, and every setback can be a stepping stone towards success. Like what you heard today? Then follow and like The Daily Reframe podcast on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Check out our website at www.thedailyreframe.com. And for more content than fuels you, get social with us on IG, TikTok, threads, and all those other fine places by searching at the underscore daily underscore reframe. And if you want to dive even deeper into the topics we've covered, be sure to check out the episode show notes where we expand on key takeaways and share additional resources for personal growth, transformation, and guest bios. And remember, we love hearing from you and about your own reframe stories. Until next time, keep seeking new angles, 
embracing change, and reframing your mindset to create the life you want and deserve. The Daily Reframe podcast and content posted by, created, and or distributed by The Daily Reframe is presented solely for general informational, educational, and entertainment purposes. The use of information on The Daily Reframe podcast in The Daily Reframe including information found on or distributed through its Instagram, TikTok, and website, or materials linked from the podcast, Instagram, TikTok, or website is at the user's own risk. It is not intended as a substitute for the advice of a physician, professional coach, psychotherapist, or other qualified professional diagnosis or treatment. Users should not disregard or delay in obtaining medical advice for any medical or mental health condition they may have and should seek the assistance of a healthcare professional for any such conditions.